Welcome. Church of the Advent is an Anglican congregation in Denver, Colorado, that seeks to share in the life of God by redefining and reorienting everything around the gospel of Jesus Christ. We hope you are challenged, encouraged, and moved closer toward the gospel by this week's message. So why do we fast? Well, last week we said to offer ourselves to Jesus. That was last week's sermon. That's the core reason we fast. This week we're going to answer to grow in holiness. Next week to amplify our prayers and lastly to stand with the poor. But to this week to grow in holiness. And so the liturgy is going to preach the gospel to you this morning. We've already done it and we're going to do it again at communion and in the creeds. It's going to remind us of the grace of, of God that you are beloved whether or not you fast or never fast. You are beloved in Christ. But I am going to push I'm going to be a little prophetic, they might say. I'm going to push on this idea of holiness. I'm going to challenge us. So last week we left off, left off on theology of the body. Your body is who you are. It's a part of who you are. You are an embodied soul. And so your discipleship has to include the body. Now there are three distinct stages to your body uh, when it fasts. When you fast, there are three distinct stages your body goes through. In the first few hours after a meal, your body is feeding on the energy from the food and your stomach, but then around 16 hours, it enters into a different stage. It switches from burning glucose for energy to burning fat, and this is called ketosis. And any of you who have done this for physical reasons might know this. Ketosis is incredibly good for you. But then after 24 to 48 hours, another stage called autophagy, which literally means self-eating. Begins, your body begins to break down uh, and cleanse your body of old and dead and damaged cells, sometimes called zombie cells, the type of cell- cellular material that causes maladies like cancer and aging and chronic disease. It's your body's way of taking out the trash. There are all sorts of health benefits, of course, to fasting. It can strengthen your immune system. It can cleanse you of toxins. It can increase your metabolism. It can reduce your weight and inflammation and blood pressure. Okay. So many experts have been touting the benefits of fasting for a long time. But when followers of Jesus engage in fasting as a spiritual discipline, the ultimate aim is not physical health. That's the icing on the cake. That's good, but there's a deeper good for us in fasting. Pope Benedict put it this way. I think I have this quote. Oh, sorry, Catherine, I didn't prepare you well. Just keep your fingers nimble. Um, Pope Benedict put it this way. In our day, fasting seems to have lost something of its spiritual meaning and has taken on in a culture characterized by the search for material well-being, a therapeutic value for the care of one's body. Fasting certainly brings benefits to physical well-being, but for believers, it is, in the first place, a therapy to heal all that prevents them from conformity to the will of God. And another way to just summarize that is to say this. We fast to grow in holiness. We fast to grow in holiness. Holiness is a very rooted word, uh, sorry, loaded word. A shorthand way to understand holiness is to say that holiness is wholeness. It's wholeness. What health is to the body, holiness is to the soul. By which I mean the whole person, the soul. A whole person is a holy person. A holy person is a whole person, a healthy person. And in the same way, the, the reason I went through the body stuff is there's an analogy here. Our bodies are meant to teach us something here. In the same way that fasting is your body's way of purifying your body of zombie cells that are killing you, so too fasting is a tried and true way of purifying the soul, your whole person, to make you holy. In the language of Scripture, fasting is a way to sanctify the soul. To sanctify is to set apart, to dedicate it to God for His special purposes. 
The saints have long attested to the power of fasting and abstinence. For those of you who are choosing abstinence as a discipline, to some degree, the same is true. The saints have long attested to the power of it for growth and holiness. When St. Augustine was asked why fast, he said this, because it's sometimes necessary to check the delight of the flesh in respect to licit pleasures or good pleasures in order to keep it from yielding to illicit joys or sinful joys. Or here's St. Leo the Great from the 5th century. Fasting gives strength against sin, represses evil desires, rebels temptation, humbles pride, cools anger, and fosters all the inclinations of a good will, even unto the practice of every virtue. Thomas Akempis, restrain from gluttony, and thou shalt the more easily restrain all the inclinations of the flesh. Our spiritual mothers and fathers have taught for centuries. Now listen. That's not Scripture, but as Anglicans, we don't put tradition on par with Scripture. Scripture is always our authority, but we desperately desire to learn from the wisdom of the church. The Lord's been leading His church for thousands of years, and many of our sisters and brothers have something significant to contribute to us. And so all of them, almost unanimously, the saints testify that they believed it was impossible to actually become holy without practicing fasting. They understood well that practicing occasionally saying no to good things makes it much easier to say no to bad things. And so they fasted. They saw clearly that the Scriptures treat the stomach as both an enemy and a potential ally in spiritual health. So think, think of original sin in Eden. As Adam and Eve, they could not resist the fruit. Think of Israel complaining and grumbling in the wilderness, longing for the flesh pots of Egypt. Think of Paul's warning in Romans 16 or Ephesians 3. He warns against people who are ruled by their bellies, that's a shorthand in the ancient world for people who had no self-mastery, people who are ruled by their passions. You know, gluttony is listed as the first of the seven deadly sins on purpose, actually. It's very intentional because Christian thinkers have long said that an undisciplined appetite has a domino effect across all areas of our life. It's connected. Now, this has been convicting for me. I do not have a disciplined appetite. Um, and so the practice of fasting so far, I, well, I'll talk about that in a minute. <clears throat> the point is that the capacity to steward our body's natural drives for, for good things like food and sex in healthy ways, they rise and, and fall together, okay? So to make sense of this, let's explore a little bit of what Romans 7 says about a theology of the body. Romans seven fifteen through 24. Starting halfway through here, this paragraph, you, you can't really see it, so... I'll just read it for you. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? This is a famous passage because Paul seems to be naming the existential angst many of us, maybe all of us feel around sin. We do what we want to do. Sorry, what we want to do, we don't do, and what we don't do, we do. John, you did a great job with all those do's all over the place. Side note, if any of you have studied this passage in depth, there's a lot of debate around how to interpret it. I would love to talk with you about that afterwards. The point is the broader New Testament witness is clear. If you ever feel like you get stuck in patterns of sin and doing what you don't want to do, you are not alone. That is part of the Christian experience. It's because of what Paul calls the flesh, the body of death here. But in 1 Corinthians 6, Paul says your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. So which is it? Temple of the Holy Spirit, 
body of death? The answer is both. Paul's complex anthropology characteristically contrasts the flesh and the spirit. Two parts of you, for lack of a better term, your unified whole. But when he uses spirit, he often is getting at that part of you that is a home for God, that is joined to God's Holy Spirit. When he uses flesh or sarks in the Greek, a very memorable word, sarks in the Greek, he's pointing to the warped passions in you, your sinful nature. The sarks then, the flesh, that is not like flesh and bone. It's actually your sinful nature, your warped passions. So if you could bring up this, this picture here, Catherine, for us. I have a slide with a, it's again, difficult to see. Um, but this is a picture of, of the flesh. It's a picture of, of gluttony, of this man who's got a, a wine in both hands. The bartender's ready to pour him some more. The devil's nearby cheering him on. And there's this sort of hollow expression on his face. He's got all this, but he's, he's unsatisfied. That's the flesh. So the flesh is the instinctual, you can just keep that up. It's the instinctual drives, even in, in our body, for good things. Again, like food and sleep and sex or self-preservation. But then those things becoming bent in towards a sort of lawless, no rules, instant gratification. If I, if I feel it, I want it, I'm going to do it. So that food or sex, rather than love of God and neighbor, leads the parade of all your other desires. And so Augustine simply called the flesh disordered desire. These desires can be good, but in the wrong order, they become very bad, very harmful. Love is meant to lead the way. So in this context now, in this context, we hear the call of Jesus in Matthew 16. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Paul runs with this command from Jesus, and he calls it crucifying the sarks, crucifying the flesh. It's a theme all throughout his letters. Galatians 5.24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh. Colossians 3.5, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, your flesh, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed. The Reformed tradition uses a very old religious word, as the Reformed people like to do, mortification, from the root word mortal, as in you are to kill the flesh, not coddle it, not make excuses for it, not justify it, but to nail it to the cross. That's the call. The question is, how? How do we do this? Have you ever tried to do this, just stop sinning? Just stop it. You guys have seen that counselor who just yells at all of his clients at an SNL skit, I think? Just stop it. So I think I'll just stop lusting from now on. How's that working out for you? Later on in Romans, Paul goes on to write, the key here. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Translation, we cannot use the flesh to defeat the flesh. It does not work. Willpower is not enough. We need the power of the Spirit to actually be transformed into Christ-likeness. Willpower is great. It only works for very small challenges, though. I mean, willpower versus a plate of cookies? Maybe. Depends on the cookie. <laughs> But willpower versus an addiction to pornography or, or substances or money or outbursts of anger based on childhood trauma. Willpower just doesn't stand a chance. It doesn't. And as apprentices of Jesus, we need a way to, to draw on the same power that Jesus did, the power of the Holy Spirit. So how do we grow in the Spirit's power? One of the ways is through the practices of Jesus, like fasting, the spiritual disciplines. 
You know, Jesus was sent by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days to fast before he began his ministry, but really to feast, to feast on God, his Father. So fasting remains one of the best disciplines we have to keep in step with the Spirit, to draw on the power of God as we follow him and become more like him. In other words, fasting is one of the best ways to feed your spirit and starve your flesh. We're not against the body, we're for the body, but to feed your spirit and starve your flesh, not, your, your fl- not flesh and bone, your sinful nature, your disordered desires. There are four things that happen to us spiritually when we fast. Well, there's many more, but here's an attempt to summarize them. First, fasting weans us off the pleasure principle. Underneath our desire for excess food is an even deeper desire, what psychologists call the pleasure principle. This is a a driving motivation, especially we see it in our kids, do we not? Who only want to do what feels good in the moment. It's the mantra, if it feels good, do it. It's the core value now, not just of children, but of modern life. That's kind of the cardinal rule in the modern world. If it feels good, you should do it. Many things feel good in the short term, destroy life in the long term. And many things that are no fun at all in the short term yield dividends for years to come. Those of you who are disciplined at working out, it's not always that it's fun, it's that you want to be healthy. Now, do you know why, according to psychologists, happiness doesn't actually increase with increase of wealth? I mean, if you explore your own desires, if I explore my own, I think I do find in there, like, if I was wealthy, I'd be happier. I'm pretty sure that's true. I could just go anywhere I wanted, do anything, wouldn't have to worry at all. But happiness doesn't increase with wealth. It does up to like a certain point where you have just a median standard of living, your needs are taken care of, but after that, it does not. And eventually it declines. Why? They call it the hedonic treadmill. You know, a treadmill, when you turn it up, you have to run faster. It's similar with more money. The more you get, the more you want. And so as you get more, expectations and desires rise in tandem, and there is actually no permanent gain in happiness. You're just running faster. Through fasting, we mature beyond the pleasure principle, and we step off the hedonic treadmill, and we learn how to do the right thing even when it's hard. We train our bodies to do that. We learn to be content even when we don't get or or have what we want. We are increasingly free of anger and anxiety or the need to consume more to satisfy us. Instead, we are able to be joyful and at peace and satisfied no matter our circumstances. This is the school of fasting. Secondly, fasting reveals what's in our heart. It's very revealing. Richard Foster put it simply, fasting reveals what controls us. If you've tried it, you'll know that fasting teaches us a lot about ourselves, how unhealthy our relationship with food maybe is, how how weak we are, how much we need pleasure to be happy, how far we are from God. It's very, very humbling. But all this ugly stuff, as it rises to the surface, It allows us then to surrender it to God, to see it, to acknowledge it, and to give it to Him. Third, fasting reorders our desires. If I could pinpoint so far, I've been inviting you to fast on Wednesdays until until dinner um, or another day that works better for you. For myself on Wednesdays so far, the one sort of subtle thing I feel like I've, I've really sensed is I find that my desires are being slowly drawn towards God on those days in a subtle way. I desire to sin less. I desire to be holy. I desire, uh, my desire for greed 
and for lust. And to hold on to bitterness or grudges goes down. And my desire for purity and kindness and love for God's law and compassion just starts to flow. And as I practice fasting, I'm beginning to just suddenly sense that this is true. God is at work deep within my person in a mysterious way I don't fully understand that my willpower cannot possibly do as I'm just fasting and praying. Even if it's just two minutes, if you choose to fast or abstain during Lent, as we're inviting you to, you got to pray a little bit, you know? Even if it's just two minutes during lunch, just say the Lord's Prayer sincerely on your lunch break. Ask the Lord, Lord, uh, meet me in this fast. I'm hungry for you. Reveal yourself to me. Don't forget to pray a little bit along the way. So on that note, finally, fasting draws on the power of God to overcome sin. Fasting is a discipline. But like any good habit, it's a way to increase our willpower muscle. Like I've said already, it's extremely effective. It is, I think, the most effective way, according to the wisdom of the church, to grow in the fruit of the spirit of self-control. But again, willpower alone, it's not enough to break the chains of the flesh. Our flesh is powerful. Fasting, then, it's ultimately about drawing your energy from the Holy Spirit's power, from a relational connection to God himself. Again, it's not a formula. It's connecting to God himself who empowers us. As we come to God and give him our weakness, he comes to us and gives us his strength. So if I wanted to summarize all that, and I do, you could just say that fasting is a way to turn your body from an enemy and an a- into an ally in your fight against the flesh. To turn your body from an enemy into an ally in the fight against the flesh. Your body is good, but your flesh is not. And it will take over your body if you don't resist it. And that's why fasting is hard, especially at first. You are essentially picking a fight with the flesh. And this is why some of you are quite mad at me right now. I am picking a fight with your flesh. But the more you do it, the more your flesh is weakened through self-denial and your spirit is strengthened through a connection with God. This discipline of fasting, it is a pathway to freedom. And many have borne witness to it. This is why doctors of the soul throughout the church have always prescribed fasting especially for those who are struggling with sexual addictions. Therapy, community, covenant eyes, and fasting. Uh, This relationship between our desires and fasting, this is not willing your way to freedom. Hopefully that's clear. When we fast, we do what we can do. We open up our mind and our body to God. We surrender the outcome so that the Spirit of God can do what we cannot do ourselves. He can break chains, increase our self-control, set us free from the things that enslave us. And so, full circle. If you are a stay-at-home parent or a caregiver on your feet all day trying to serve people, okay, yes, it's probably going to be physically harder for you on the day that you fast, although your body will get used to it over time. But over the long run, what if a lifestyle of regularly fasting begins to make you more holy and more whole? And what if God's Spirit gives you more than bread can give you? And over time, you start losing your temper on your children less. And you start bringing a deeper peace into the room everywhere you go. And you start living in a much deeper awareness daily of God's abiding presence with you in the grind of life. What if the key to holiness in the long run isn't being well-fed, but being feeding on Christ? more deeply. You know, when you can't overcome sin, named a few, pornography, gossip, yelling at your kids, greed, because it's outside the range of your willpower, here's what you can do. You can fast. 
And you can offer your body to God, and you can let his spirit break the hold of sin over your body and over your flesh and set you free. And I really have, through this series and through my study, I have come to feel convicted and and believe that one of the reasons the church, especially in the West, because the church everywhere else does fast quite regularly, one of the reasons we are so indulgent and weak in power and deluded by worldliness is that we've left off this core practice. It's been so definitive for Christians throughout all ages. And it's time to take it up again. I mean, what better place than in America? We have too much. We are saturated. And we don't need more. We need less. But before we end, remember last week's main point. The ultimate aim of fasting is is Jesus himself. Yes, it's to grow in holiness. I've highlighted that this morning. But even more so, it's union with God. And that's ultimately what brings us wholeness and holiness. You know, in Matthew 5, 4, Jesus says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Fasting is one way that we can cooperate with God's desire to purify us. And what's the fruit of that? Well, the scriptures say the fruit of that is we will see God, more of him, more of him. Do you want that? That's a question to get in touch with this Lent. Do you actually want that? And if so, what are you willing to do to cooperate with his desire to give you more of himself? Again, you don't have to fast. You're not commanded to do it. You're not any more loved or less loved if you do or don't. But Jesus did, and the church always has, and the collective wisdom of the saints testifies that fasting, if you choose to do it with full intention, not not rote, not a formula, not as a means of manipulating God, but fasting in prayer and sincerity, it's not only powerful, it's one of the best ways we can cooperate with God's desire to make us holy, to make us more like himself. If healthy eating and exercise tend towards a flourishing body, fasting, or if need be abstaining, tends towards a flourishing soul. Now, let me close with this thought. The way of Jesus is the way of the cross. That's what I've been laying before us this morning. Take up your cross, deny yourself, follow me. But ultimately, the cross gives way to resurrection, death to life, Friday by Sunday. So we do not only fast. This morning, we're going to feast on Christ himself. And the Christian life is full of joyous feasting together. But here's the thought. If your life is going from feast to feast to feast to feast, and there's never any fasting, then are, are we not simply feasting because we can't say no to our appetites and we're just being indulgent? But if occasionally we fast, then all of our feasting is worship. Because then it's a choice to rejoice in God as the giver of all good gifts. And those gifts are received with deep appreciation and gratitude, not taking it for granted as if we deserve it, as if we've earned it, but received with deep gratitude and awareness of the good gifts of God. And so we feast on Him together. So if you want to grow in holiness, if you, if you want to see God in a greater way than ever before, and if you want all of your feasting to actually be an act of worship, I would encourage you to give it a try, to practice fasting this Lent. Lord, I pray that you would take this invitation um, and, and apply it to hearts as only you can. Um, give people discernment to decide how to walk this out. And most of all, draw, draw near to us. Walk with each of us through this Lent. Give us yourself. Fill us with your spirit. Meet us in our hunger. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. 
We encourage you to take a moment to reflect on what God might be saying to you through what you just heard. For questions, additional information, and resources, please visit adventdenver.com.